majority to Kawi collectively known to Coen Brothers and have long commended themselves as some of the finest modern filmmaking, bringing us to one of the best films of the last few decades. But knowing all the end of 2021's tragic Macbeth, can fans of his filmmaking feel fulfilled? This is what we're trying to find out here today on this episode of Scripture Scene. How was that? Wow, just... <laughs> I'm in awe. Have I, ever, have I ever shown you my model taco truck? Yo, for a second I thought that was supposed to be like a carton of milk. Have I ever shown you the small carton of no, milk my, I have in my bedroom? It's a model taco truck. That's cool. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Joel and Ethan Cohen, collectively known as the Cohen Brothers, have long cemented themselves as some of the finest auteurs of modern filmmaking, bringing us some of the best films of the last few decades. But with only Joel Cohen on hand for 2021's The Tragedy of Macbeth, can fans of this filmmaking fraternity feel fulfilled? That is what we're here to find out today on this episode of Script or Screen. <laughs> Welcome back to Scripter Screen, your number one source for bloody betrayals. My name is Christopher Kitchen. I am one of your co-hosts, alongside my other co-host, uh, who has the urge uh, to tell me that I need to murder my boss in his sleep. Zach, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Yes, I'm whispering in your ear. Chris, you must you must play play the the, so- the sweet flower, but be the serpent underneath it. Ooh. I I would say that sounds like pretty. That sounds pretty hot. Well, you know, Shakespeare he 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 knew a thing or two about 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 nothing. I don't know. <laughs> you know what's interesting about Shakespeare that I think about <clears throat> is that like you know when you learn about him in high school and stuff, they kind of they forget to tell you that the way his um, his work is written is not the way that people actually spoke in the time, but just the way that thespians would... It was written for thespians to perform, and it's a, it's an art form of its own, you know? Right, right. And I I always I always felt like, why do they talk like that? You know? <laughs> you know? I, in, in iambic pentameter and stuff? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it was just a, a thing of the times. Um, you know what I like about... William Shakespeare and his works, Tales Tales of the Bard, is that mm-hmm. people hold him in very high regard of like, listen, you gotta know the classics. This is this is art and this is for high class, you know, enjoyment. But Shakespeare was a man of the people, and he knew that everybody would be going to see his plays, and so he had to cater to the lowbrow and the highbrow, and that's why a lot of Shakespeare plays also, you know, have tragedy and deep pathos and emotion, but also fart jokes and <laughs> and and boner jokes and and you know, that's I just respect that of of Shakespeare. He, he knew how to cater to everybody. <laughs> We're back again in the studio. Uh, for another exciting time. What are we talking about, by the way, on we, this episode? We are talking about uh, 2021s, or I guess 22s. I, had a, I think I had a wide release in 2022. Uh, but we're talking about here about The Tragedy of Macbeth by Joel Cohen, adapted, of course, from the work of Macbeth 
Shakespeare. But before we get into that, Zach, it is important to know you can find Scripture Screen on our website, www.scripturescreen.com or anchor.fm forward slash scripture screen. There you can see all of our past, present, and future episodes for your listening pleasure. Check out Scripture Screen on social media pages across the board, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We're out there. We post updates and other things, and maybe you can catch us on a good day. Ask us a question. We'll give you an answer. Give us some feedback. We might think about it. You know, <laughs> yes, indeed, and you know, uh, we're we're always looking for new topics. So if you have something you want to hear us talk about, uh, suggest and and tell us uh, tell us what your favorite works of Shakespeare are because we want to hear about it. My favorite adaptation of Macbeth is from the. I'll tell you what it is, Zach. It's from uh, the children's television program, Jimmy Neutron, Macbeth in Space. <laughs> wow, that is uh, that is a uh, a deep cut, let me tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Um, one of uh, my favorites might actually be coming up later this year, which is uh, The the Northman. Uh, oh, which yeah? Is, is it? It's, it's, it's not Macbeth, but it's, it's Hamlet, basically. Oh, okay. So... Um, I'm very excited to be seeing that. We'll talk about uh, that and more uh, down the way. But I want to start off. Um, I want to start off this episode uh, just to do some housekeeping of stuff, uh, kind of pertaining to our last episode a bit. Um, so our last episode um, it was our most anticipated TVs. TV shows and movies of 2022. My most anticipated TV was the Sony QX94, <laughs> exactly. which is going to come out with like 100K resolution, Zach. It's incredible. Wow. You heard it here first, folks. But yeah. um, but pertaining to our last episode, just, you know, our most anticipated shows and movies. And um, uh, so the first bit of information we got uh, was, hey, uh, during Monday Night Football... Uh, Marvel was like, here's Moon Knight. <laughs> oh, yeah, Here, we did. Here's the trailer, and it looks pretty pretty dang cool. It is interesting. I think I said before, I was a little hesitant. I'm... I'm <laughs> I am... I'm excited, but I'm still outside building my fence in case I need to jump on top of it. <laughs> it's You know, that's fair. That's fair. I think it's good to to, you know, be cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I'm very just because like there's a lot riding on this. Yeah, uh, at least for me personally, Moon Moon Knight fan. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm glad that we're finally seeing some bits of it. You know that that does have me excited. And then oh, actually, I don't know if you saw there was like uh, people already looking for Easter eggs in the trailer yeah. about other things that lead to like the greater Marvel universe as well. So um, is Oscar Isaac Mephisto? Is he? No. <laughs> um, I don't think so. But, you know, they did that thing. Um, they, Marvel does that thing that I like. And it's not a Marvel thing, but it's it's just an every, you know, every so often this kind of thing happens where they go, look at this new trailer. By the way, it's coming out very soon. It's dropping and that's it. yeah. March 30th. So we will have Moon Knight. I thought this was going to be like a Q3 uh, uh, title, but nope, we are does getting that make- it. Does that make this our next Marvel project that we get? Uh, yes, I believe. 
we just came off Spider-Man and, and Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Right. Oh, my God. The next thing I get is Moon Knight. Wow. It's, you know, it's going to be exciting. My, um, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> um, and then another uh, exciting announcement, uh, depending on who you ask, but I think it's exciting, is uh, we got our first look at the title card and a release date for uh, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, which is the Amazon series. I don't like that name. It's it's a little clunky, not going to lie. And and my thought is, did the Rings of Power and the construction of them come uh, uh, come to, to fruition in the Second Age, Zach, as our uh, lore historian here? I mean... Yeah, a, a simple yes or no. Yeah. Okay, well then... <laughs> it looks... I, I'm excited for it. Um, uh, music and, sounds awesome. Music does sound cool, and... Um, it's coming out September second, twenty twenty two. So we we have a, a it is date. a month before my birthday. Well, there you go. And yeah. um, I I think it, there was a little funny collective internet thing that happened where, it, you know, they dropped the the teaser for it, the the title card, and everyone was like, "Oh, cool!" And it was really cool. It's like they showed a behind the scenes thing. It wasn't yeah. CGI. It was all done with practical effects. And you're like, "Oh, that's that's rad!" And then like. Later on in the week, Jeff Bezos took a picture, posted a picture of him like leaning on the on the title card, and everyone's like, "Jeff Bezos, get the fuck out of here! No one likes you." <laughs> I mean, anyway. it's his money that paid for the show, Zach. What it is, gonna... but nobody likes him. Yeah, that's true. He's a very unlikable guy. Except Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos who do, likes him. Who do you, who do you like oh. more, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk? Excuse my throat. We're recording this morning. I'm very Jeff Bezos or Elon. I don't like either of them. They're such like weirdos. Okay, that's fair. Um, I don't like any like rich billionaire trying to act like hip and cool (laughs) and relevant. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, this news just dropped. I think in the last couple of days. Uh, but Knives Out Two is been officially uh set for release. In an unspecific Q4 2022, so we're getting it this year, probably November. Ryan Johnson sequels. Dude, I'm excited. I loved the first Knives Out. It was was fantastic. This is the first time that he's ever done a sequel to one of his own movies. That's pretty good. I mean, he he probably would have had the opportunity if if, uh, Star Wars hadn't decided to just, like, purge their entire... um, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Okay. I don't want to talk about it. Um, but I'm excited. I think maybe before it comes out, maybe we might have to have a Knives Out episode. Maybe, maybe. Who who done suggested it, Zach? I I done suggested it. <laughs> oh, um, okay, the mission. Uh, mission. <laughs> the mission. <laughs> Problem solved. Um, and lastly, I think we have some sad news. We um, do have some sad news. Go ahead. 20- 2022 is just is just ripping us another one. Um, we we had lost uh, a wonderful comedian again. Um, Louis Anderson has passed away. Uh, we wish him and his family the best. It I, is I, a it is a damn shame. Yeah, it's uh, what sucks is I actually got to meet him a number of years ago and have like a small. Uh, just like a work relationship with him over the course of a, like a week. 
and just getting to know him. He was a really fantastic guy. This is like right off of like his first Emmy win too, after he got it for baskets. Mm-hmm. Um, so super humble, super nice guy. And we were doing like a live show for the NAB conference and he was just such a sweetheart to work with and just hearing all his little stories and, and stuff. Um, it's a shame. It really is. Uh, it, cancer sucks. It, it very much does. And it's always a shame when we, uh, when we lose such, such like, you know, big talent. I mean, Louis Anderson, Meatloaf died also. I mean, like, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy, but, um, but that's life, you know, that is, that is what happens and it sucks. And we, unfortunately we move, we move forward. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> we move forward. You're right. Let's, let, so, so let us, let us move forward into yet another tragedy of sorts. <laughs> right. Well, we, so we have something that I think always makes me smile, and that's hearing that a Coen Brothers movie is is out. I love the Coen Brothers. They're some of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Um, I am definitely not alone in that camp. I think, you know, they're also, like, some of the most celebrated filmmakers ever. Favorite Coen Brothers film? Uh, I mean, Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men... That that is a hard question. It's like one of those things where I'd have to. You know what's interesting about No Country for Old Men versus some of their other filmography? It's like the most different in a sense. You know, it it is very different. And speaking of different, this movie I think is that we're going to be talking about Macbeth is is very oh, different. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I would. Say, I mean, you're. I would. You're absolutely right in that regard. No Country for Old Men has always been my favorite personally. Um, but I can always go back and watch Fargo. <clears throat> True Git, True Grit's pretty good too. True um, Grit Ballad, is, yeah. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. When we got that a couple years ago, I really enjoyed it because just stylistically, it was very, very Coen Brothers. You yeah, know. absolutely. Another, I, I think um, Anissa loves Oh Brother Where Art Thou. They're, they're it was just uh, all such good films. But I mean, yeah. like, yeah, like. If I was to pick, like, which one is the most, like, technically sound, like, the most, like, professionally done film of theirs, I would say uh, No Country for Old Men. Um, it came out in such a great time, too. And and it's it's an impeccable film, uh, but, God, their films are just too good. Like, yeah. I couldn't really be like, this one's my favorite. Definitely not Lady Killers. Definitely not the Hudsucker Proxy. Barton Fink is good, you know. Just Even their, like, original film, Blood Simple, is a classic. So see, You probably relate to Barton Fink a little bit. A little bit, you know? A little bit, sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, we also have... Uh, this is kind of... This is the crossroads here, because we also... This is a Coen Brothers film, sort of. It's a Coen Brother film. Uh, yeah. But it's also a Shakespeare adaptation. Um, so I, you know, we wanted to, we were kind of mentioning it before, but some of our favorite uh, uh, Shakespeare adaptations. Um, and and I, I made just a small list here of just some suggestions if anyone listening <clears throat> wants to know a good, a good or an interesting take on Shakespeare, uh, we, yeah. we have some some interesting ones. There's a 1996's Romeo plus Juliet, which is weird, and you're gonna hear me say that a lot. <laughs> it's weird. It's I liked mo- it. 
It's not bad. I mean, it's modern day. It's like set in L.A. And it's yeah. like uh, they still retain the Shakespearean dialogue, but like they have uh, guns instead of swords. And I, I don't know. I liked it. Like and, I look back at watching that movie, and I'm like, this actually was like weird enough to be fucking good. It's Baz Luhrmann who was also the man who put like hip hop and Jay Z music in The Great Gatsby. So. You know, that's a style. I don't know if it's my style, but it's, I mean, it's interesting. I i don't hate the film. Uh, there's Titus from 1999, which was directed by, uh, who, who did direct uh, Titus? I don't remember, but it's starring Anthony Hopkins, Alan Cumming. Uh, it is based off Titus Andronicus. It is very weird. It is out there. It's hard to explain. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where I'm like, just watch it. You it was know- directed by Julie Taymor. So it was directed by Julie Taymor, I'm remembering now. <laughs> and uh, it's... Uh, all I can say, it's just a weird... A weird adaptation. Um, but She but, also did Frida, Zach. There you go. Starring, starring one uh, and, Selma Hayek. And across the universe. And she executive produced the 2019 The Lion King. Well, there you go. Yeah. Speaking of Lion King, another yeah. great Shakespeare adaptation of uh hamlet and yeah. um that i did put that on the list there it is um but that's clearly the the 90s lion king the anime because the new one eh, not not so great um i want to talk about throne of blood directed by akira kurosawa in 1957 which is a japanese uh, uh samurai era retelling of macbeth and there is also Ron, which is from 1985, is an adaptation of King Lear, also by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, I just man- want to note that like he directed one film released in 1957, the other one 1985. This guy's career. Well, he don't realize mean, he was he was around for a long time doing this. He, yeah, I think Ron was that his last film. I don't remember, but uh, he. I mean, he's Akira Kurosawa uh, was just the one of the best. Oh, the mo- the acclaimed. Yeah, uh, we have the ni- uh, 2015 Macbeth that was uh, Michael Fassbender and uh, Marion Cotillard, um, which I haven't seen, but I remember it. You've can- never seen it? i never seen it. What? It, add it to the list. I've talked to you so many times about this film. I've seen so much about oh. it, all the striking visuals and stuff, but I've never actually sat down and watched well, it. We'll talk more about it. Um I guess, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but I feel like for me, when I think about, like, Shakespearean, like, adaptations that I've seen, and that I've also read, like, probably in high school, Mm -hmm. Macbeth is the only one that, like, I feel like I've just been most consistent with, and had Falter versus, like, Hamlet or any of of the other ones. So, would I say it's my favorite? I don't know. It's the one I'm most familiar with. Well, there you go. I mean... Yeah. That's fair. Um... Uh, 2011 also brought us Coriolanus, which was uh, an adaptation, a kind of like an action-heavy modern-day adaptation of the of the play, uh, directed and starring uh, Ray Fine, and uh, also got Gerard Butler in there. Yeah, and uh, also I think the only one I wanted to mention was The Tempest from 2010, and that was Helen Mirren, uh, Jim and Hunsu, and Russell Brand. Okay. Uh, just you know, the, there you go. There's all of our 
all of my at least uh, uh, offerings for uh, if if you like Shakespeare uh, and getting caught in the rain, uh, ch- check out all of these uh, fun things. But uh, I say now's the time to talk about the movie we're here to talk about. Um, I guess it should be important to note that we're going to get into it, and it's Macbeth, and if you're pretty familiar with it, I guess you could stay. Yes, yeah, yeah, spoilers uh, for a play that was written in, like, 1612 or something. Like, I mean, in all reality, it's 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 an interesting movie, and we're talking about it. And I'm sorry, excuse it. me, how embarrassing, <clears throat> 1623. Excuse you, Jesus. Um, so let's talk info. Let's talk general information. This film was written and directed by Joel Cohen, not the Cohen brothers. So apparently there there's I don't want to play up any drama that's not there, but um they they did decide not to work together on this one because Ethan Cohen, I think uh he went to go work on a uh, a stage play and he I think he's kind of gotten tired of filmmaking. He he was in an he, you know, it was in an interview, he said, uh, filmmaking, it's just so technical and it's not, you know, it, it just doesn't feel very natural in the, in the process, only in the finished, uh, thing. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not, this is not a direct quote, but basically I think he wanted to step away from filmmaking at, at least for a time and do something a bit more classical. So yeah. he's, he's directing stage play, Joel Cohen, is is taking full control of the reins on this one. Um, this it is based. This movie is based off uh, Macbeth, written by one uh, William Shakespeare. Um, never heard of the guy. Bet he uh, bet he makes a mean a mean uh, uh, screenplay. <laughs> uh, Perdos Will- produced Willie's shakes. Willie Shakespeare. That, that's his stand in in medieval England. Wow. I guess it wouldn't be medieval if it's in 1600s. <laughs> well, it's like it's like a Renaissance era. Uh, there you go. Produced by Joel Cohen, Francis McDormand, and Robert Graff. Cinematography by Bruno Del Bonnell. Uh We want to talk about Bruno Del Bonnell for a second. Yes. The last uh, Cohen Brothers project he worked on was Buster Scruggs. Nice. Um, but he also has worked on some uh, Academy Award uh, type films, Darkest Hour. Nice, um, nice. Then we look back even further. I see one more connection, possibly two, with the film and or subject matter, and that's uh, he was involved in the Harry Potter series, Half Blood Prince, not five, Half Blood Prince, and then Across the Universe, which was directed by Julia Taymor. Okay, so, nice, nice. And it uh, looks so, like he did do. Um, he did work with uh, the Coen brothers on Inside Lewin Davis and Paris uh, Tame. I'm sorry, I don't speak French. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's cool, you know. He's a he's an accomplished. And Amelie. Oh, nice. I I do like Amelie. Um, so the man has a good eye. I think he knows a thing or two about the art of uh, cinematography, and I think he did a pretty great job with this film. Uh, tragedy of Macbeth. This film, I think, benefits from a lot of the, I guess, their uses of, of light 
just because the film in itself is all is in black and white, and it's also yeah. four by three. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Now, I noticed that when uh, when the preview stopped. Let Let me just say something, Zach. So you and I had different viewing experiences. You went and saw this film in the theater. I watched it from the comfort of Apple TV Plus at home. Yes. Um, and when I saw it adjust to four by three on my TV screen, <laughs> I'm like, "Damn it, this sucks." <laughs> I I liked it because. There's nothing but, wrong with four by three, and by uh, the unless end of your it, name it is Zack Snyder, unless your name is Zack Snyder, that is yes, I agree. But, <laughs> but I, I tell you, it made much more sense as the film progressed as yes. to why it was appropriate to be in that format. Right, it just sucks that I was watching it from home on a TV that's like you know it's fine, but it's not like anything theater like. So yeah. it's a little annoying. Uh, in the theater, so theater going experience was fine. Uh, it was not a crowded theater, which was nice. Uh, there was only a handful of people there. I and... yeah, I can't imagine this this film brings in the masses. <laughs> and uh, to that fact, uh, we have not been able to find any budget or box office info oh, on this film. My God, it's so private. It's I like am... it's not available anywhere. Box office mojo. This is what they have to say. It says that worldwide. This film has grossed three hundred and sixty-two thousand dollars, and that's only in Australia. But there's nothing about a domestic market, and then nothing hit all releases on Box Office Mojo. Yeah, it says its opening day it grossed thirty-eight dollars <laughs> in Australia. That was me. That was me. <laughs> what, what movie ticket are you spending thirty-eight dollars on, Zach? Jesus. Yeah, I. I you know, it's it's. Uh... Either way, I have suspicions. Um, and my suspicions mostly are, I don't think that this film cost a lot to make. And no. if it did, if it did, the majority of the funds were probably to go to pay some of the name talent that they had in this. Because I look back at the last Macbeth from 2015, directed by Justin Kurtzel, starring um, Michael Fassbender. Right. And that one had a budget uh the thresholds but between 15 and 20 million. Um and if you look at that movie like or or that film like the production design and and just like everything they put in like it looks awesome. And this one also looks awesome in a sense too. So I can imagine maybe if if everybody agreed on a lower budget including the actors and stars then I could see kind of matching that. But if this... I could also see being much higher just because Denzel Washington is like Yeah, but this doesn't strike me as a film where they're like, I'm going to get the big bucks for this. Like, I think everyone going into this is like, I'm doing this for for the art, you know? Well, I'm... well Zach, remember when a little article I sent to you earlier this week, or last week, about Brian Cox deciding I didn't want to do Game of Thrones because right. they didn't pay me well enough. Right. Well, Actors are actors are actors. I just imagine him on the set being like, ah, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, but you know I I'm looking online. There's no official uh, thing about what the budget is. People are speculating somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty five million. Uh, I see that maybe. Uh, but you know it is it is what it is. I think. Uh, but yeah. going forward, the music for this film was done by Carter Burwell. Uh, it was like we said distributed by Apple TV Plus and A24 another another notch in A24's belt 
Yeah. And uh, it was released, I guess its release date was December 25th, Christmas Day of 2021. Uh, but it had a very limited release, and I actually... I so I didn't want to have to go through the trouble of like loading up Apple TV because I'm lazy. So oh I was like, God. so I was desperately looking online. I'm like, I don't want to have to drive an hour to go see this movie. Uh, and then finally, it popped up, and it was like, oh hey, theater right by you, Cinemark. Uh, it's it's playing, and I was like, we're going. I like how you couldn't be bothered to download an app on your television and or PlayStation and uh, watch it. Listen, man, the, the the world's a, a crazy place. And I told you, you get a free a subscription to your Apple TV with your iPhone. That may be true, but I got... you. Got, I would say you got a better experience than I did, probably. I got a nice, uh, bit, uh, a nice bit of popcorn with my... <laughs> with my uh uh showing um so this movie not very long runtime of 105 minutes that is that is like that is a-okay yeah opinion. you know listen I, I i don't know if i need like a they recently well you know what they they recently well macbeth is also noted as like one of shakespeare's like shortest plays but um uh listen they just came out with the news <laughs> Uh, over like this past week or a couple of days ago, that um, uh, Matt Reeves' The Batman's gonna be two hours and fifty five minutes, and I saw that and I went, okay, <laughs> like I was just like, you know, no, you know, I've I'm always sh- I've always had the feeling that Batman films were too short. <laughs> Listen, I I really like Matt Reeves' films, uh, uh-huh. so I'm going to trust it. But I'm like, my God, like, if we get the Batman origin again that we know, it's like, what could they possibly need three hours to do? And do you know what happened to Bruce Wayne after his parents died, Zach? Yes. He went home and cried. What happened the next day? Um, And the next day. Alfred made and him... And the next day. Uh, and the next day. Anyway, so I want to see more movies like Macbeth that have like an hour, 40 minutes or an hour and a half. And you know what? You get to see it and then you go home. Yeah. Um, that's, that's my thing. Thank you for coming to my Ted talk. Good. Ted now, talk. On to, now on to the cast. Uh, we have one Denzel Washington as the title character, Macbeth Francis McDormand as lady Macbeth, Alex Hassel as Ross, Corey Hawkins as Macduff, Birdie Carvel as Banquo, Harry Melling as Malcolm, Brendan Gleeson as King Duncan, and Catherine Hunter as the Witches. Dude, Um, I want to give a couple shout-outs to some of these cast members. One, I haven't seen Catherine Hunter since Harry Potter 5. And one, I didn't realize she was like this big, I don't want to say Broadway, but like stage Mm -hmm. kind of name and like performances are all very physical and everything in my research like she is a badass and in this film one hilarious and two creepy and three i love her voice i needed in more things her Her voice is perfect her contorting and stuff was very very freaky to watch yeah but it was also captured like in a really great way she benefits from only being like five foot yeah zero you know or like i forget how tall she is four something um like it, it, just look at her Wikipedia photo, and yeah. it's just like yeah, she's a very physical uh, performer. Um, another thing, 
I haven't seen Corey Hawkins in something since uh, I can't remember the last thing I saw him in. In fact, the, I, the last thing I'm thinking of is like um, King Kong or Kong Skull Kong Island. Skull Island. He and then before in... then, before that, it was um, probably uh, the the NWA film, Straight, right? Straight Out of Compton. Compton. Yeah. And he was then, also in Walking Dead. Uh, I, played, I didn't watch Walking Dead. He played Heath. And the, the thing is, Zach, I did not realize that he had grown a mustache. And so <laughs> at first, I'm like, I know this guy. He looks super familiar. And then I Google him. Even when you Google him, he's got a little goatee. I'm like, oh, my God. Changes a man. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he did he did a great job here. I want to talk about him more here. One other person I did not uh, mention in the cast. I'm like I wanna, focusing on his facial hair. I want to <laughs> I want to bring up is he's only in one scene of the film. He's at the very beginning of the film, and then he dies, and uh, we don't see him again. Is uh, Ralph Ennison? He is just he's I don't even know if he has a named role in the film. He is the captain. And uh, he shows up for one scene just to talk about how great Macbeth is. But Ralph Ennison, one great actor, terrific actor, love to see him in things. Uh, he's got such a great voice. He's got that very deep, gravelly voice. And I we swear, saw him. We saw him really recently. Yeah. A24 must have this man on speed dial. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. They're like, do we, we need a role. Uh, we need someone just who has, like, terrific screen presence. Uh, and and also whose voice demands attention <laughs> exactly uh, who can just who can just hold people's attention uh, n- number two on speed dial <laughs> uh, who's number one I don't know who is the most like a twenty four actor he might be the most a twenty four actor T- Timothy Chalamet I don't know I don't know I'm is this even Lady Bird who has been in the most a twenty four films <laughs> either way. I definitely I enjoyed seeing him there. I'm like, hey, look, it's the Green Knight. You know, he's here. Exactly. And this, he's crossing multiverses. Um, but I think that's all like our all of our major players. Oh, but of course, uh, Brendan Gleeson uh, as the King Duncan himself, Mad Eye Moody, if you will. Yeah. Um, At first, it took me a second because I was like, this guy looks familiar. I'm not used to seeing Brendan Gleeson with a beard. Yeah. But also, like, he's, I, I I would say he's pretty iconic, too. Um, I'm also a fan of his son, though. Donal is, is pretty yeah, great. One the, Captain, the, Captain Hux. It's, it's Captain General Hux. General Hux. I was going to yeah, say. He, he, he was never demoted. <laughs> he died. No, because he was the spy. And then that's the last we ever heard of him. Uh, yeah. I, I want to give a shout out to uh, Alex Hassel. Because he played Ross in this. And he was kind of like this sneering conniving like kind of like guy in the background of this film and he just like you can tell he was just kind of he was letting everybody screw each other over and backstab and stuff and he was all the while he he kind of profits from everyone's downfall and whatnot didn't we just see him in netflix as well so yes he was he was the netflix cowboy bebop vicious yeah and he was awful in it and he was really good here, which just tells I'm, I'm, me... I'm glad you got some redemption. Yeah. Like, or, or would you call it audience redemption or just like your, your, your... I'm just glad that it's like, it wasn't him. It's It just, it goes to show how I think bad the, the Netflix 
Cowboy Bebop was that like this guy is a good actor, um, and his per the, the, the his portrayal as vicious in in the Netflix Bebop um, was was bad and whiny and not vicious. Not not how vicious is supposed to be, but it was good to see Versus him here. His role as Ross here was like quite uh, good. Yeah, he's uh, he gets some pretty good stuff. He has that great uh, scene with um, uh, Moses Ingram when he goes to uh, who plays Lady Lady Macduff, mm-hmm. and uh, just you know, just he, he did a really good job here. Um, yeah, and uh, that was won- a scary scene. That was very sad. Yeah. I want to talk about uh, representation in this film because the, the, there is a conspicuous. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound weird. So there's a lot of black actors in this film. Um, which, if you know, people, if assholes wanted to be assholes, they would say, "Oh, there, there weren't black people in in." There wasn't Mac- a black king of Scotland or uh, something yeah, like something like that. Well, uh, first Dude. of all. Those people can kindly fucking die, <laughs> but um. So uh, Denzel Washington, he did a a really great interview where he was talking about this, and he said like you know when he was growing up, and he would see films of Shakespeare, the classics, uh, you, you would never see black people in them, and uh-huh. and you know Hollywood they they wanted their Laurence Olivier's and their their yeah. Kenneth Branaghs and stuff. Uh, actually, uh, Denzel did appear in a Kenneth Branagh. Uh, uh, adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing. So props to Kenneth Branagh on that. Um, and but, Dennis, uh, uh, Dennis, uh, Denzel's son, excuse me, yes, played across uh, Branagh and Tenet. Zach, the, there you go. That's it's all connected. Oh, yeah. you can't see it, but I'm doing the uh, listeners can't see it, but I'm doing the Tenet uh, hand oh. sign. <laughs> but um, called Tenet, but. I think, you know, uh, Denzel Washington talked about how it was very important for, um, you know, going forward to have more representation in this particular uh, um, line of acting, you know, of the classics of Shakespeare to to show people that it's okay. And, and you know, we got Denzel Washington, we get Corey Hawkins, we get Moses Ingram, and they all do such great jobs with their, with their um, performances. So. Yeah, these are really great actors, and and also I I want to say it's almost the I don't say like the best version I've seen, but uh, Michael Fassbender doesn't have shit on Denzel Washington. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Denzel Washington is like pure distilled charisma, and this film he is he plays the role so well between uh, the man who's kind of plagued by. By these thoughts and these dark impulses, mm-hmm. and uh, of what he must do or what he thinks he must do, and also just batshit crazy. Uh, let me ask you something: When you watch this film, or like kind of go into like Shakespeare, which interpretation do you usually have forefront? Like, do you do like the figurative, the literal? Like, because whenever whenever I go into Shakespeare, I don't tend to think about the metaphors and stuff that they're actually talking about. I like the literal translations because i think it makes for like more immersive story rather than i'm trying to be analytical about what shakespeare's trying to say like you know right i mean i think for me it's it's yeah i try to it my brain does kind of like the reverse engineering where i'm listening to it and and someone will say something and my mind has to then kind of 
doesn't have to, but I, because, uh, you know, Shakespeare's not hard to understand, but your brain does kind of work backwards with it and say, like, here's what he said, take it apart, here's what he meant. Yeah. Um, um, but, the, but then there's, like, the, here's what he meant, also meant aspect right. of it. And, and it's just, I feel like for some of these performers, you know, classically trained actors. Yes. We'll we'll look at something like Shakespeare as like oh this is if you know this then you're in you know you're great and a lot of these actors or, or performers are people that I, I haven't seen and maybe are quite familiar with these classically trained roles and as like a member of the audience like I think that's what makes Denzel so compelling you know we've seen him in a lot of different roles um, both like action heavy and both you know yeah uh, and all these other things and so to see him kind of take on this this one-man band of sorts that is uh, the mind of Macbeth is really, really compelling. And it's also, I mean, everybody's talking Oscar buzz and things for him. And, Absolutely. And, and honestly, I can't imagine that uh, the Academy filled with thespians is not going to let that go on uh, unnoticed. You know, I feel as if we get the same with some of the other performers. Let's talk Francis McDormand. Ooh. Uh, Hollywood sweetheart, I gotta say, and and everything she's been in. I mean, she's probably the longest standing collaborator with the Cohen brothers. Well, she's um, uh, married to Joel Cohen, so yeah, that makes sense, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I did not know that, um, so I should have probably. That's okay, um, but uh, yeah, she's she's terrific. She really nails that, like you know, whisper in your ear, tell you tell you to do something, and there's a seductiveness to her character. Yeah, she's like very turned on by the fact that this is all happening in a sense (laughs) or am i looking too into that she's oh i mean lady macbeth is forever an opportunist and yeah she sees something she's like i'm going to take that i am going to get that and then we get to watch her kind of downward spiral as she comes to grips with the um the monster she's created yeah it is not um I think manipulation is not for the faint of heart. No, no, definitely not. Um, but you know that's that's uh, it's one of those great roles. By the way, can I say one of my favorite scenes in the film is when they're having they're hosting the dinner party, and and uh, Denzel as Macbeth sees the crow fly by, and mm-hmm. he goes to chase it, and he's like ducking and weaving around it and stuff, and. And everyone's like, "Oh, what's going on?" And Lady Macbeth, Francis McDormand, she's like, uh, "It's it's a weird condition. Listen, just go <laughs> go back and sit down." And then he's he's fi- had it since he was a child. Yeah, and then he finally he finally comes to and he realizes what's happened, and he's like, "Hey, sorry, folks, uh, but I bet that looked weird. But if you knew me, <laughs> if you knew me, you wouldn't think it's weird." <laughs> And then I wish, I wish, uh, you know, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth kind of like gave each other like a real corny wink and like thumbs up, like nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> we really fooled them. <laughs> What's really great is the way they play off each other too. Both very strong performers. Both really, I mean, they obviously their characters have their own motivations in a sense, um, but they, I feel as if they're grounding the film 
in this way that A24 does really well. Yeah. The, the sense to madness across all their characters and all the films that they have produced, um, there's something special about it. that They just know how to do it. Or they, they, they see it and they're like, yeah, we do that. We yeah. want this film. I don't know which came first. If A24 paid for the film or if they made the film and then they sold it to them or, or whatnot. It's a good Either question. way, I feel as if, like, that is, uh, one, it's, all, you know, super representative of the source material. And, like, it, it is Macbeth in general. But yeah. I don't know how they were able to pull it off so well. While also, I feel like highlighting uh, a lot of these other parts, I, I feel like these characters and these descents um, fit really well into the setting that we find ourselves in. Because we weren't on these really immaculate, grand sets. Everything was super intimate. Right, everything yeah. and and all everything had like this this weird, um, not weird, but like this very specific texture. I know, I know, we want to talk about the presentation, getting into it, but like also for me, the set design was, I mean, everything was symmetrical in a sense. Everything was almost yeah. this weird mid-century style. Like I thought it looked like kind of a Frank Lloyd Wright wet dream without like the, <laughs> you know, the the integration of like nature at times. But there right, was just. Right. The architecture in the castle um, was, and, and the line work, and you know, as well as when we moved to like other areas, um, perhaps like some of the paths when they walked, like, and and the way that they framed everything together, and you mm -hmm. kind of see like the backdrop with like the grass in the middle, like it was all meant to one, it mirrored the stage in a it, sense. That's yeah, I felt that was like a major thing they were going for. Exactly, and then another element to it was that. This is why I have such a interesting or weird thought of like how much this film costs because the production design didn't look like it was garbage at all. Like I mean, though it didn't look as much as let's say I'm going to refer to Macbeth 2015 a lot, and this just right. because that's the last major time we saw this. Um, but it did not look as much as that. So it makes me think like, wow, like that's not where the money went in this. But what they did do still looks like very charming in a sense, and also like not. Uh, not bad. There's there's a lot there's a lot of moments. So I feel like, you know, not in not in a full like full on like, um, complete immersion sense. But but this film does draw a lot from like old style German expressionism. You know, yeah. to turn from my inner film nerd to come out, but um. You know, I think of like you know, it's not as crazy as like something like the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, but like yeah. Nosferatu, Metropolis, these kinds of films where where you know the the environments are a little more uh, almost surreal. Um, you know, like the, there's parts where they're in the courtyard of the of the castle, and the the castle only goes up so far before it kind of disappears into the haze. Yeah. But I mean, I think I think you're you're onto something too because the the black and white lets you focus on some of the more minor details as mm -hmm. well. I mean, and that's just one aspect of it, like the fact that there's no color outside of the many hues of gray that we find. Right. Um, but then we can pay more attention to the content of their words, right? Or like the way that their their clothes are are similar to one another. Like we notice, like almost everybody. In, in the court has like at least all all the the male characters they all have like kind of the same 
outfit on right but right the colors are different and outside of any other armors and things like that but then that's a detail and then there's a the detail of i like that you talked about like once you get outside the castle to a point we don't see past where yeah. the height stops and and also what i'd really like is when we go out into like the fields and we see like the night skies the stars are kind of like dangling they're kind of like twinkling <laughs> it, you know it, like, um it, it has a very uh it has a very Oh, I don't. I don't want to use the term like a minimalist uh, appeal to it, but um, you know, they they they're not wasting our time with with ima- like you know intricate sets and stuff and like big set pieces. You know, this film is not about scale. The only no. scale that is here is the the range of performances that we get. I was gonna say that one shot of, of Francis McDormand on the cliff. Um, oh, actually, that's a good point too. That I mean, that is yeah. But I was going to say, you know, this, you know, the movie, it's more concerned with the personal drama at play yeah. and, the sh- and the showcase, you know, wants to showcase the performances, but it still leads to some very, very striking shots, mm-hmm. um, especially with the architecture where you get like, you know, these hallways with the, with the, the archways on one side and the light kind of casting out. Um, yeah. There's that one interesting shot with um, the scene with Steven Root playing the porter where he wakes up kind of in the undercroft and he steps out and he's just giving this long monologue and uh, the whole thing, it's kind of a, uh, just a tra- like tracking shot as he's walking and then he goes forward and then he goes back to his, his place and, and, all down this like one long corridor, um, but it's all in service of that performance. Yeah, like it doesn't distract from anything, and I like that we kind of get that too in in some of the scurrier parts, right? <laughs> and, and I I mean most predominantly when we get to the part where where we are looking for Macduff, right? And so we go visit his family Ooh. and. And there's, there is like, the striking image of like throwing his child oh down, my God. down the their home, but into like the smoke, right into this yeah. abyss of sorts. And that is like, imagine if we actually saw the fire and all these things, and like in their rage color. I feel like it would have kind of took away from the drama that of like what that actually meant. Yeah, and, and that's where they want you to think too about the, the figurative interpretation of of um excuse me uh of <laughs> macbeth but right, right. um and so i i you know this film I, I think also allows for that um but dude this is some super like i really like this adaptation you know we we talk about 2015's macbeth or they refer to it on the internet as the film that defined every frame of painting you know okay yeah um i mean, well in a way i feel like there's a that YouTube channel with the same name kind right. of discussed it. Like you could go at every single one and it's just like gorgeous composition from one to another. And this one, I feel like it brings together both uh, the beauty of the cinematography and without uh, any lackluster performance or anything like that. The scale isn't too big and, and it's because it's more intimate it can succeed more in, in um, giving the audience more, you know, you're not yeah. just here for the pretty visuals. And it's not like the other one was lacked in content, but I think 
they also had uh, a more Irish spin on it or something like that, like, or Scottish spin on it. I don't, I know you haven't seen the film, but um, they played on that heavily versus this one. We have a mix of uh, American and English and Scottish and Irish right, actors, right. you know, like, and it's a healthy mix too. And none of the performers or, or bits and pieces put together, like every people are even with American accents in this. Yeah. You know? And, I don't think I was ever distracted from, it, from the no, point because it, of that. I felt like I was watching a stage production put on screen. Um, yeah. With some but very, not like watching Hamilton. No, no. <laughs> like like very talented actors uh, just doing their best interpretation of the bard. And yeah. uh, it's just, it was such an interesting thing. You know, when you think about the Coen brothers, you know, there's, there's so many things that come to mind, but Shakespeare, I mean, you know, they, they've done some Shakespearean stuff in their time, but, but this is so vastly different from anything they've, they've put out before. Um, and it's also interesting to see kind of how this, the trajectory of their career is going. Cause um, obviously now it's just Joel Cohen uh, at the director in the director's chair. But I mean, you know, they did make their jump from theatrical, like, uh, exclusively theatrical films to mm-hmm. to streaming films that get limited releases. Um, obviously with the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and now this, uh, and it uh it leaves me um excited and interested to see what the next project's gonna be. You know, it's also interesting to think of like the last ones. I think of Buster Scruggs, right? And mm-hmm. I think. In a way, this was kind of. I could now see how this could have been the next step because Buster Shrugs tend. It took a little more bit of a with the use of the vignettes mm-hmm. and being more intimate on the characters that this would be kind of the next step for them. It is kind of sad though to think that they're not going to be co-directing together again. Maybe they will, but I, I mean, mean yeah, for the foreseeable I, future, perhaps I don't know not. If, I don't know if it's a permanent uh, thing. Um, you know, yeah. I think Ethan Cohen probably just needed. He needs to step away from filmmaking for a little while to get go back to his roots. Um, you know, wants to it's, direct actors it, acting. It's just weird because they help break like directors guild rules by being like uh, you know, duo directors. They they <laughs> were one of the only exceptions for the the co-directors uh as the an established duo. So like the fact that like that's history that they made and now it might go undone because of their own, you know, choices. Like, ah, oh, well, I mean, who the hell you trails plays that for then? You know? Right. Well, I um, mean, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I think I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it out of their own possibility that we'll, we'll see them back together working on a, a, a new film down the line. I don't know what it'll be. Um, uh, but they're, they're filmmakers. I can trust them to do literally anything. Yeah. Um, any any other thoughts or, or specific details of the film, Zach, that you want to um, go into? Not necessarily about the film, just as the, 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 uh, the story of Macbeth as a whole. I've always found it interesting, and I'm probably... I don't know if this is a true thing or not, but... Um, I had heard stories that uh, Tolkien, with Lord of the Rings, took inspiration for uh, from 
Macbeth uh, in how Eowyn, Eowyn defeats the Witch King. Um, oh. Because, you know, in Macbeth, you get the whole thing of, like, uh, the prophecy that uh, no man born of a woman will kill Macbeth. And then Macduff's like, ha, I I was cut from my mother. I was not born of a woman. And then he kills Macbeth. Um, spoilers. That so- <laughs> scene, by the way, very visceral. Yeah, in when, a he, sense. when the crown goes off in the head and he dives for it. Like, the, the, the yeah, the whole cutting and... And the just the beheading as well is yeah. super. I was super interested. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like that was probably the the most gore we would have seen in the entire film. We actually you saw a little bit of it, and it, I didn't get to talk about like I know we've been talking about all about textures and design and stuff, yeah. but like the way that they would show blood in this film too, mm-hmm. and that you don't get the same look. You just get like the shadows and everything, and like that, the sprays like. I don't know. They they the attention to detail in this um I think uh bodes very well for them uh in the upcoming award season. I think so. Yeah. I, I would I would imagine this will probably get nominated for a bunch of stuff and I hope it wins cuz uh I think, you know, Denzel very much deserving, Francis McDormand, uh uh even um uh uh Bruno Delbanel his cinematography, I think. Uh, I think didn't didn't Mank win for cinematography last year, or last? Uh, year? I don't remember. Um, it, it may have Mank, lost, but it was it was actually it was very well done. Um, so if we look back at like some of our our it past did episodes, it did win. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Um, if you think about the film like this versus a film like The Green Knight, yeah. Um. I don't want to say it's necessarily the same genre or the same type of film, but uh, what are your thoughts on like these are vo- you know very specific stories? I wouldn't say they they attract wide audiences, but like you know they're things that people may should or or could know about. Both A twenty four films. Um, what which do you think could appeal to people better, or or where they could find more of what they want in because. I, I know criticisms of Green Knight. Some people felt it was boring. Some people go into this be like, I hate Shakespeare. I don't understand it. It's boring. Think of the modern audience as well as the more, let's call them, established audience. Zach, what, what are your thoughts? How should they view these films like these? I, I feel like, you know, Shakespeare, it's everywhere. Everything is Shakespeare. They say that, you know, there is no story written today that cannot be traced back to Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like in that, in that realm of thought, you know, it's hard to, to look at Shakespeare and be like, Oh man, it, you know, there's, there's nothing of entertaining value here because you go like, no, this is like, this is the formative, like without Macbeth, we would not have so many other things without Macbeth. There wouldn't we wouldn't have I, Star Wars. There there wouldn't be that one scene in Lord of the Rings where the Witch King's like, no man can kill me, and then Eowyn's like, I am no man, and stabs it, him in it, the face. If you think about the idea of uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, you wouldn't have Star Wars in the way that it ended. Uh, that, uh, the, the Yoda there is another kind of bit. Yeah. They related that to Macbeth. Yeah, and, um, you know, I mean, even even beyond... Macbeth, I mean, Hamlet, 
you wouldn't have the Lion King without Hamlet. Yeah. You, you would not have Sons of Anarchy without Hamlet. Oh, yeah. Uh, you would not have West Side Story without Romeo and Juliet. And I mean, there's just, I mean, we could say here, just list all the things that have been like inspired by Shakespeare. But I think that's why I think it, it's almost essential for people to like, yeah. if you want to have like a better understanding of like stories that you see now, or, or maybe even like a, an appreciation and a well-executed adaptation that doesn't involve you having to read per se, but maybe <laughs> enjoy like some of the, the best actors and filmmakers to date. And just uh, do a rendition of it. It's something so timeless of like these characters that are like, listen, this this play was written or published in 1623, and these are some complicated, nuanced characters. It's it'll be the 400 year anniversary, uh, in <laughs> in next year, Zach. Oh man, we're gonna promote this <laughs> 400 <laughs> years. <laughs> 400 years, Macbeth. Let's go. <laughs> But here's um, a Mackie B's baby. There you go. But uh, yeah, I think I think for myself, that's about that's about all I have to say on Macbeth, the tragedy of Macbeth um, for now. I think. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll stick with what I said. I think I've enjoyed it more than the last rendition I got, though. The last one uh, remains something I will try to remember as well. Yeah. Uh, no, you're only allowed to remember one Macbeth. Well, it's just I, I, I wanted to see it for so long, and I, when I finally did, I was like, oh, you know, like, I'm glad I kind of watched this, even though, like, listen, it's it's tough to get through some of the language. It is. I am <laughs> not. It's not for the faint of heart. But once you're finally able to kind of get the ball rolling and then kind of enjoy it, you know, you're set. And I think they do a great job here of making it as enjoyable as ever. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, you know, go check it out. Apple TV Plus, still in theaters somewhere, maybe. But if not, um, just have a really big TV screen so the four by three doesn't get. Yeah, way. it'll 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 sneak up on you. But um, yeah. yeah, if you can see it in theaters, do it because it's it's great, it's entertaining, um, and it's just it's just nice to go out to the theaters. It is. Wear a mask. Stay, yeah, stay safe right now. Get, get vaccinated. What's wrong with you? Um, looking to the future, we have uh, now a new series to watch in March. We have Academy seasons coming up. Nominations will be coming out. Will we talk about them like we did last year? Maybe. It depends. I, I think the, it depends the Golden on Globes the... hit us and left us, and we're like, oh, what the hell were we supposed to do with that? Exactly. So, but it depends on the nominations, really. It does. Um, I don't know. Last year's nominations were pretty solid, I'd say. Yeah. So. Um, we'll see come up going forward but from everyone here at Scripter Screen your number one source for Macbeth appreciation posts there you go be sure to go to our website www.anchor <laughs> be sure to go to our website <laughs> www.scripterscreen.com or anchor.fm forward slash script or screen. There you can find all of our past, present, and future episodes. Find us on social media at script or screen, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We are the film and television podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of your days. Nailed it.